Turn with me over to Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verses 20 through 24. And then we're going to look at how God provides a covering, not just in this chapter, but we're going to do a survey really from Genesis to into the New Testament of how the Lord has provided salvation, how he's provided a covering. But I begin here, 1 John chapter 3, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. Behold what manner of love. Take a moment and just ponder it. Behold it. Think about it. That how God has loved us. That we should be called the sons of God. That we should be called the children of God. Jesus said there's no greater love than this than a man would lay down his life for another. The way in which we've been redeemed and the way in which we've been saved is the greatest way that God could have communicated his love for us under the necessary uh, salvation need that we had. That wasn't his plan to save us. He didn't want to have to do that. But sin in the garden created that. But the Lord loves us. And so we're just going to take that one. I Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons, the children of God. We're going to behold that today. And it begins there in Genesis. And in Genesis, last week in our study, chapter 3, we saw that man rebelled against the Lord and they ate of the tree of the garden, that tree that the Lord had said, in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. They ate of that tree. They were beguiled by the enemy. They gave in to their desires. They gave in to their desire for uh, something pleasing, something that could be theirs, some kind of position they thought they would be able to obtain. And they were separated from God. It's manifested because that separation in that they went and they hid themselves. Now there's only two people on planet earth, right? It's Adam and Eve. And who are they hiding from? They're hiding together. So who is it that they're hiding from? They're hiding from God. That This awareness that came upon them because of their sin caused guilt and it caused shame. And it drove them away from the Lord. And the Lord comes walking in the cool of the, the day in the garden. Adam, where are you? It was not the sound of some arresting officer, but it was the sound of a benevolent creator looking for more fellowship. More time together. Where are you? Come out of the bushes. And they were hiding in the bushes. And they had taken fig leaves and they had put them together and covered their nakedness. Because they felt shame. Their conscience pricked them. And here's what happens. Sin will have one of two impacts upon us. And sometimes we can feel them both going on at the same time. It's condemnation. Go hide in the bushes. You have no place to be around God. He's done with you. He's sick and tired of you. You have failed for the last time. Go get away from God. He's done with you. That's condemnation. Condemnation sends you running into the bushes. But conviction calls you out. What have you done? It's not that it ignores sin. The sin is, what have you done? We ate of the tree. You ate of the tree. Why would you eat of the tree? This is something that you should have done. But the Lord is convicting them of their sin, but he's drawing them back into a relationship. You come out of there. And this is where all of us are this, this past week in our life. We either have responded to the conviction and we've come to the Lord, or that condemnation, condemnation has sent us running from God saying, I've got to get as far away as possible from the Lord because I know that he would want nothing to do with me now. That is not true. And as evidence here in this story that we're going to read, 
We begin reading in verse 20, and let's just read these last few verses of the chapter. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin. Well, where did he get those from? And clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So we want to begin here by just talking about how God provides a sacrifice. He made tunics of skin, verses 20 and 21. What does that say, that God would take the tunics, make tunics of skin from animals? What's this communicating? Well, here's one thing it says, I want to cover your mistake. You need to be covered, but not with the fig leaves. That's inadequate. That religion, man's attempts to cover sin is always a poor substitute for what God does. They had some uncomfortable, you know, vegetation on this. The Lord's like, let me make you some, you know, you know, wool cover seats here for you. I think you'll enjoy these a little bit more than what you're wearing right now. And let me provide for you. But what he was also saying is, I want you to be with me. I want to make a provision. That's why in my opening when I said some of you think God wants nothing to do with you. No, God wants you to be covered by the sacrifice that he's made for you. He wants you to be covered. There's a sin problem. And it still exists to this, ever, to this very day. And we all are very aware of it. But the Lord wants to provide a sacrifice. That means that God wants to have fellowship. If God would have been done with mankind, he could have said, that's it. I told you not to eat of the tree. I told you only one thing not to do, and you did the one thing. Um, I'm out of here. I'm going to go to the other side of the universe, have a nice life, whatever that looks like. And he could have just abandoned, but he didn't abandon. He stepped into the scene, and he made a covering to to go over their, their shame, to cover their guilt. And this is God's heart. He wants to restore fellowship with mankind. In the garden, he wanted to do that, and he's still wanting to do that today with you. Maybe you're a believer. And man, you you have sinned in such a way that you thought you could never do. You thought, there's no way I'd ever do that kind of thing. I mean, other people do that. I don't know how they do it, but they do it. But I never will. And yet you've done it. You've done the one thing that you thought you would never, ever do. You're like, I'm sure God is done with me. I'm sure God wants nothing to do with me. No, the Lord is coming to you and he's calling you out of the bushes of condemnation. And he's saying, come here. I've got a provision for you. I've got a covering from you. So this coming of God with the tunics of skin was saying, I want fellowship. And then he's making a sacrifice. Now, as we, most of our study here is going to be in this next section where we are going to do a survey of sacrifice from Adam to Jesus. And you're familiar with these. I know most of you are familiar. Some of you, there'll be some passages you've never read before. But I just want us to follow that scarlet thread of redemption, that scarlet bloodline of redemption. And it begins here in the garden 
where Adam is, uh, where God makes a, a sacrifice of animals to provide those skins. It's not just the wool, or it's not just the, you know, some kind of uh, woven uh, material. It's the skin, it's the hide. An animal had to die here. Does it shock your senses? Are some of you animal lovers like, why, why the animal? I mean, what the poor animal is a brand new creation. That animal knew nothing, did nothing. And yet God sacrificed his animal to provide for them. That's not fair. Bingo. It's not fair. It's not fair for that animal. And it's not fair for the Lamb of God who's going to be sacrificed. Something innocent is going to die for the guilty. That's not fair. But that's the redemption that God is going to provide. So let's follow this survey of sacrifice from Adam to Jesus. And we begin with this opening uh, verse of Hebrews 9.22 that says, According to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is what? No remission. There's no remission of sin if blood is not shed. There's no covering that will be provided if an animal does not die, if its blood is not spilled. For that sacrifice. And so this becomes the, the, the way in which God is going to redeem. If you just look over into the next chapter, we come to our first survey here. And that's of the survey of Genesis 4.4 where it begins with Abel. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. How did he know? How did Abel know? Because, I mean, here we are. I mean, we're, we just read verses 20 through 24. You move into chapter 4. God gives them no instruction about offering up animals, and yet they know that they must do this. So we can only assume this. They, in, they inferred from the sacrifice that was made for their covering and probably God giving instruction for them that this was something that needed to be done. Animal sacrifice, the shedding of the blood was going to take place. And what we see here is that when this was offered up by Abel, Abel came with a worship that was acceptable and was respected by the Lord. Of course, Cain does not do this, and God does not receive his offering. But it begins with just there, this, this, this offering of an animal by Abel as he comes to worship the Lord. And this is what's going to happen with the patriarchs. They're all going to worship this way. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they're all going to come with these animal sacrifices. We then move into Genesis chapter 8, verses 20 through 21. And the timing of this is right after the flood. And Noah and the family is coming off of the ark. And we read in verse 20, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a, what? Soothing aroma. This isn't something God despised. This isn't something that God um, was offended by. It's something that pleased him. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. Well, how are you going to deal with man's sin? In that sacrifice that he found soothing. There's going to be a sacrifice that's going to come. It's soothing to him. I, in this, after judging the world, the Lord could see 
in this sacrifice what was going to happen. He knew that one day he was going to send his son to be that sacrifice for sin. And it wasn't going to be through a flood. It was going to be through this provision of his very son. And there was something pleasing in that death to the Lord. But you know, again, you may find that shocking, but wait till we get to Isaiah 53. And you're going to be even shocked more of how the Lord looks upon the sacrifice of his son and how he responds to that. But there's a reason why he finds it acceptable. There's a reason why it's soothing to him. It's because that is what is necessary to redeem. Because what's our verse? Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There's, no, there's not going to be salvation. That's why those animals were sacrificed in the garden. That's why Abel is offering up sacrifices. That is why Noah is offering up sacrifices. It's not detailed anywhere in Genesis at this point to offer up animals. But we know that they are supposed to, and we know that it is right by the response of God. Genesis chapter 12. We come into the life of Abraham. In Genesis 12, we're going to look at a couple of scenes from Abraham's life, but Genesis 12, we see that Abraham builds altars and offers up a sacrifice. And, and no big point to draw out here other than that this was the common practice of the patriarchs. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your descendants I will give this land, the land of Israel. And there he built an altar to the Lord, who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with, uh, with Bethel on the west and, and I on the east, and there he built an altar. So we see he's, a, he's an altar builder. He does this repeatedly, as will Isaac, as will Jacob, offering up these animals. But then we come to Genesis 22, and I want you to turn in your Bibles there, because I want to read this section. I think it's such an important passage for us to see. And while you're turning there, if you recall, back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, in our study last week, the first mention of salvation is given. And that's where the Lord says that he would, through the seed of the woman, crush the head of the serpent, and that the, sea, the hill of the seed, the sun, that his hill would be bruised. And, and that's all we have in Genesis 3.15. And then a few verses later, now we see an animal sacrifice. And then we see Abel, and we see Noah, and we see the, uh, the patriarchs, Abraham, offering up sacrifice. The Lord is painting a picture. In Colossians, we find that the feast and the sacrifices and all of it, they are a shadow of the things to come, but Christ is the substance. He's the reality of them. In other words, all of these sacrifices are foreshadowing. They are prefiguring. They are working up to the once-for-all sacrifice, blood sacrifice, of Jesus. But in Genesis 22, the picture that is being painted takes on so much depth and so much color. As we read this passage, I want you to think about God who offered up His only sacrifice, His only Son as a sacrifice. And how his son bore on his shoulders the cross and he walked up a mount. And there he offered his son as a sacrifice. Genesis 22, Abraham takes Isaac to offer him. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. 
Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. If your senses were shocked with the animals in Genesis chapter 3, what about now? God is asking Abraham to offer his son. Let's keep reading. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told them. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place off, a place afar off. Three days. Jesus was in the tomb for three days. And in his mind, we're told in Hebrews that Abraham believed Isaac was as good as dead for these three days. So he sees the place afar off. Where does he see? He sees Calvary. He sees Jerusalem. He sees Mount Moriah. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and I will return. Does that what, is that what he says? No, he says, and we will come back. He's going to offer him a burnt sacrifice. He knew what a burnt sacrifice was. How was he going to come back with his son? Because he knew that Isaac was a son of promise, and that through Isaac would come many descendants, and eventually the Redeemer. He didn't know how it was going to happen, but for three days he has walked with the reality that his son is, going, is as good as dead, but he believes that somehow both he and his son are going to come back. He must have, it doesn't say it, but he's thinking there's going to have to be a resurrection. There's going to have to be something that's going on. Can you see the picture that God is painting? It's something else. Verse 6, so Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. Just like Jesus had the wood laid upon his back. And went up to, to Calvary. And he laid it on his uh, son, Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham. Now he wasn't a child. It would have been a, something maybe as old as even 30 years old. Said to his father, uh, said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. Then he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, underline this, my, my God, our God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order and he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, The Lord Will Provide. As it is said to this day, In the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And indeed the Lord did provide. In this same spot, his only son 
had the cross laid upon his back and he went up to the same spot and there he was crucified. God did provide a sacrifice. So we begin with just Genesis 3.15. That the, the head of the serpent is going to be crushed by the, the seed of the woman. That's all we have. But then we see sacrifices being made. But what do we do with all of these sacrifices? What do they fully mean? And now we get to Genesis 22, and we see that God is going to provide a sacrifice. We're not given all the details, but we see that one day God is going to provide a sacrifice. Well, as you move on through the Old Testament, you have Exodus and you have Leviticus. And I'm not going to take the time to read any one reference because there are dozens of them. But we see that in the Mosaic law, there is all kinds of sacrifices that are commanded to be made. There's sin sacrifices. There are burnt offerings. There are free will offerings. There's peace offerings. And in this place, day and night, every day at the tabernacle and the temple, animals are being sacrificed. Not one or two, not three or four. There are dozens every day and sometimes hundreds of thousands of animals are being sacrificed to provide for everybody. Just, just amazing. They believed that there would have been such a heavy amount of blood flow on the Temple Mount that they would have had to have made a plumbing system that would have been used to drain the blood off of the Temple Mount down into the Kidron Valley. Here's the thing. You have the Temple Mount. The blood would have come down in the Kidron Valley. This is not a biblical statement, but this is what they believe. And then as you begin to ascend up the Kidron Valley, you come into the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prayed and sweat as it were great drops of blood, and then you come up onto the, uh, to the Mount of Olives. Jesus would have crossed that Kidron Valley. It would have been flowing with blood from the lambs that were being sacrificed on the temple, and he would have known, I am the provision. I am the one. I am the seed of the woman. I am the one that God will provide the sacrifice for, and it's going to be right there. And these lambs that are being slaughtered, this Passover lamb that we just ate, it's symbolic of me. I am the sacrifice. So all those sacrifices throughout the history of Israel. Well, Satan gets in to this beautiful picture that God is painting of redemption, and he corrupts it with human sacrifice. And so we, have, we see the Canaanite worship, that they began to worship a god called Molech. And in this worship, they would take their sons while still alive, and they would offer them up to these false deities, these false gods. And they would, their sons were being offered up. And you can see the way he's trying to corrupt and he's trying to pervert the picture, which he fails at. Turn with me over to Psalm 22. Again, a passage, if you're not familiar with, it's just amazing to see the accuracy and the detail with which God speaks of the coming sacrifice. This is a Psalm of David. And David is talking about the suffering that the Lord himself will go through. David is writing a psalm that we have the pre-incarnate Christ speaking of his suffering that he will go through. It's truly amazing. Let's pick up at verse, I, want to, I mean the whole psalm is worthy of a read. But let me just get a few verses right here in the middle of this chapter. We'll pick up at verse 6 and just hear the Lord in this. That sacrifice that God will provide on Mount Moriah. But I am a worm 
and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breasts. You can just think of the, the Lord sending them down into Egypt and fleeing. I was cast upon you from birth, from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is no help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and a roaring lion. And you can just think about those Roman guards that were around him, plucking out his beard, punching him while he's blindfolded, saying, prophesy. Verse 14, he says, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. In 1984, the Journal of American Medical Association published an article where they had taken cadavers, and they had performed on these cadavers the Roman crucifixion to see the impact it would have upon a human body. One thing that they found out that happens to the human body through the Roman crucifixion is that the person who was being crucified, their bones, their bones would actually, their joints would begin to pop out of socket. And so as we read this here, it's, it's physically what medical science tells us does happen to those that were crucified. He's going through intense pain. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. We think about that spear that went into the side of the Lord, and out came that flow of blood and water. My strength is dried up like a parchment. My tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And they did these very things. And for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword. My precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. You have answered me. And he goes on. This is what the Lord, this is what that sacrifice went through. His hands and his feet being pierced in crucifixion. Being surrounded by angry people, just in a rage, ripping his beard out, spitting on his face, blindfolding him and punching. He went through all of this. He is that sacrifice that's going to be offered up. Now, David's writing a thousand years beforehand. Before this ever takes place. Turn over to Isaiah 53. Another passage I think every one of us as believers should be familiar with. If you're not familiar with Isaiah 53, if you've not read Isaiah 53, you are going to be blown away right now. Just put your seatbelt on. You are going to be blown away with the accuracy with which the prophet speaks of the sacrifice that Jesus will go through. Again, written hundreds of years before Jesus was crucified. We pick up at verse 1, and I'm going to read this entire chapter. Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, 
And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Here it is. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, by that scourging, we are healed. And we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Because God will provide himself a sacrifice. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? He was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken, and he made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Here, look, if you were offended at the, the sacrifice of animals, or even the thought that Abraham would offer up his only son, read verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed and he shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By, my, by his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and the tr- made intercession for the transgressors. Wow, now it's really coming into focus, isn't it? The redemption, the sacrifice, is going to be the servant of the Lord. It's going to be God's son. And he's going to take that upon his body. But when Noah offered up the sacrifice... The Lord saw that and it was a soothing aroma. Here we read prophetically of how the Father looked upon the death of the Son upon the cross as the sin of the world was placed upon him. And it's a soothing aroma once again. It pleases the Lord. He sees the labor and the travail of his soul and he is satisfied with that. How could he be satisfied with that? Because it satisfies his wrath against sin. It's not going to be a flood again. It's going to be an atoning sacrifice. Once and for all. And this is how the Lord is working this redemption. An amazing picture. Again, written hundreds of years before. It was Jesus that's being described right here. Zechariah 12.10, another point in this scarlet thread of redemption. We see him speaking of Christ's suffering. It says, And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on him, excuse me, they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one who mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for her firstborn. So one day Israel, their eyes will be opened and they will see at the second coming of Christ that Jesus was the one that was pierced and put on the cross for them. So 
from the Old Testament all the way through, there's this picture of sacrifice, this picture of redemption. It begins with just this simple statement that God provided tunics of skin for Adam and Eve, but it was picturing something much greater. Well, we make our way into the New Testament where we see that Jesus is the ultimate covering for our sin. And this is announced even at his birth in Matthew 1, verses 20 through 21. The Lord speaks to Joseph and he says in verse 21, he shall bring forth, She will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. But wait a minute. Without the shedding of blood there is what? No remission. He's going to be the Savior? He's going to take care of people's sins? Then his blood is going to be shed. And even at the announcement of his birth, there is the announcement of his death. This is what the entire Old and New Testament are about. It's all working towards this one point. And then, again, we see that Jesus is that ultimate covering and that John announced that he was the Lamb of God. John 1.29, the next day, John, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, wait a minute. We've gone from just some unknown animals in the garden to now there's the Lamb. And he's the one that's going to take away the sin of the world. And Jesus himself talked about this. He mentioned that he was the, salv- the Savior of the world when he had that that quiet conversation with Nicodemus at night. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but everlasting life. He was given by God. God will provide himself a sacrifice. Now it's not the Son of Abraham. It's now the Son of God who has come and he is offering everlasting life. And it comes to its end there in John chapter 19, verses 28 through 30. It began in Genesis 3.15, and it ends in John 19. And we read this as Jesus hung upon the cross. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, all things regarding salvation, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a hyssop and put it to his mouth. So Jesus, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. What is finished? Genesis 3.15 is finished. This picture that's been painted. What what David said in Psalm 22, what Isaiah said in in Isaiah 53 What was painted, that picture was painted in Genesis 22 with Abraham taking his son Isaac. Jesus says, it's finished. The word, the Greek word is tetelestai. It means paid in full. If you were to go to the market and say, here, I'll give you you 10 shekels for this. I'll come back tomorrow with the other 10 shekels. When you came back with the next 10 shekels, that note would be stamped tetelestai. Or as we put it, paid in full. It's paid in full. What needs to be accomplished for man to be redeemed is finally taken care of. I'm not going to go into it, we're just out of time, but you might want to then also look at the whole picture of Jesus as a kinsman redeemer. And if you're not familiar with that, go listen to the study in the book of Ruth and find out how Jesus is a kinsman redeemer. We close here, though, with this truth. 
Jesus is the only sacrifice. There is no other sacrifice. He is the perfect sacrifice. All those sacrifices were being made, looked forward to Jesus. They didn't, the worshiper didn't know that Jesus was going to be the one that was going to fully represent that lamb they were offering. But God knew. God knew what he was doing. And he called the worshiper to have faith that as he offered up this sacrifice, that it would be a covering. It was a temporary covering. How do we know it's temporary? Because they came back to the temple day by day, year by year. If it, if, it was, if it was good enough, they wouldn't have had to come back the next year or the next week to make a sacrifice. So they knew it was temporary because <clears throat> they continually did this. And that's what we read in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 6 through 15, that Jesus alone is that perfect sacrifice. And I'm just reading one verse, verse 12 from this passage. Now with blood, with the blood of goats and calves, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with the, his own blood, he entered the most holy place once. For all, never again would there be a sacrifice, having obtained eternal redemption. Eternal redemption? Yeah, because all those other sacrifices, they looked forward to this sacrifice. But Jesus is that once for all sacrifice. And Romans 4, 23 and 25 tells us that Jesus rose from the dead to justify us. All these other sacrifices, they just died. They were consumed on the altar. They were consumed in a mill. They were buried. They, they just went away. They never came back to life. But Jesus was that one sacrifice, as it says in verse 25, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, we are still in our sins. But he rose from the dead, which means this, we can have the hope of everlasting life. It's kind of a strange thing to hope in a sacrifice that died for you that does not come back to life to offer you life. But our sacrifice rose from the dead. So here's this scarlet thread of redemption. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we would be called the sons of God. I know it's a familiar story. Praise God it's a familiar story. To most of you, you know it well and you knew these accounts well. Maybe you've never sat down and surveyed it all in one setting. But I hope the picture of God's amazing grace is washing over you afresh. That you are amazed, not that you've been saved, then that's enough, but that the manner in which you've been saved. Behold what manner of love. He chose to redeem us in a manner that says, I am committed to you. He calls us out of the bushes. He calls us out of that religion, that attempt to cover our sin. And he says, no, 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 not like this, but like this. Your way is not going to work. It's sin and it's got to be dealt with. But come out and I will provide a covering for you that looks forward ultimately to the Lamb of God who hung on the cross and said, to Telestai, it is finished. You have been redeemed. And the Lord wants you to know this redemption. And there's interesting verses in that closing section of Genesis chapter 3. But we see that God preserves the hope of redemption by driving them out of the garden, making certain they would never eat of the tree of life. They were in a lost state. They needed the seed to come in order to redeem them completely. If they would have ate of the tree of life after eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and now being separated from God, they would have forever been separated from God. 
They would have been eternally sealed without the hope of redemption. And mankind would have never had a hope. So he drove them from the garden and put an angel there to guard. It's an act of mercy. It's an act of mercy. Now here's the exciting thing. Where is this tree of life today? Anybody know? It's in heaven. You read about it in the book of Revelation. And when we get to heaven, New Jerusalem, New Heaven, you will be able to eat of this tree that he forbid them from eating. And as you eat of that, it will be that acknowledgement of, I have eternal life. The Lord kept mankind from eating of that tree because, again, it speaks to us that God wants a relationship with us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this redemption that you've provided, the scarlet thread, the scarlet bloodline of redemption, right in the opening chapters of Genesis and all the way through. We see that you are redeeming us, and we thank you that you've sent your Son. We thank you that you poured out your wrath upon him. You offered him up as a sacrifice that we might have salvation. 